Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Christy and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, October 9th. Today we are reading from the big book. We're on page 41 and we're in the first full paragraph. Today's readers are Deb W., Eddie, Marsha, and Paula. The reference number for Monday, October 8th, is 3133. The OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Nicole to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Vision for You, the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Nicole. I will now ask Rosanna to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. Good morning. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, 
a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group or never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Rosanna. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We're on page 41. We're in the first full paragraph. And I will ask Paula, please, to begin reading. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Rita. I went to my hotel and leisurely dressed for dinner. As I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. That was all. Nothing more. I ordered a cocktail and my meal. Then I ordered another cocktail. After dinner, I decided to take a walk. When I returned to the hotel, it struck me a highball would be fine before going to bed. So I stepped into the bar and had one. I remember having several more that night and plenty the next morning. I have a shadowy recollection of being in an airplane bound for New York and of finding a friendly taxi cab driver at the landing field instead of my wife. The driver escorted me about for several days. I know little of where I went or what I said and did. Then came the hospital with unbearable mental and physical suffering. 
You know, as we read this, we we have lived this so often, you know, never a thought. And he says here, as I cross the threshold of the dining room, you know, usually go in the dining room to to consume a meal. The thought came to mind. There it is. Just came to mind. Oh, no. It was there, and it was awaiting. And as we can see here, it was a perfect day. His guard and his defenses were down because he couldn't do it on his own. We can't. And then it said clearly that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. Shouldn't the next thought have been with sanity and another trip to the asylum? But no, not that thought. That thought was pushed aside. That was all. It was enough to set him off again. And there it went. You take one, it takes you. Nothing more. With that, I will end. Allow someone else to share, and I say thank you. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Katie. Katie, Janice, and then Edimi. Go ahead, Katie. Hi, this is Katie, a compulsive overeater. And this uh, train of thought starts in the previous paragraph where he says, if I had not been making too, he began to wonder if he had not been making too hard work of a simple matter. So he's already forgotten. He forgot what it was like. And that's what I did over and over and over and over. Is I, I just thought it wasn't that big of a deal, that I just had this little eating problem, and if I ate a little bit too much now and then, what was the big deal? Um, that mental um, torture and, and the pain and suffering of the day before or the week before is completely out of his mind. And... Um, He's only thinking about himself. He's only thinking about um, what he wants to do, and he's forgotten what this um, disease is. And, you know, that's that's the place I was stuck in for years where I would get a little bit of recovery and think, oh, this isn't that big a deal. Why am I making such a big deal out of it? I can skip this today. I can skip that today. I don't need to do that part of the program. I just, you know, took a cafeteria style. And, you know, as it says uh, in another place in the big book, half measures avail us nothing. Not give us even half recovery. They avail us nothing. And surely send us back to um, the bottom. And the bottom, you know, it seems to be an abyss because we all can find a new bottom if we go back out. So I'm just so grateful to have the consciousness today that I believe God gives me to remind me exactly how I felt uh, the last time I binged and how I wanted to die. And I don't have to go back there. I don't have to prove to myself that I don't need this program. Um, My own experience has shown me that I do. And it will, although I'm recovered, I'm not cured. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Janice, go ahead. Thank you, Christy. Good morning. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Okay, here we are. Here we are hearing this story. 
you know, hearing Fred's story and remembering that Fred's already talked to the people in Alcoholics Anonymous. He's already conceded that he had some of the symptoms. He knew that he was like these guys. He knew that he had had these same experiences. But that did not stop that thought from coming into his mind that it might be nice. That it might be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. That was all. So where was the memory? Where was the memory of the horrific experiences that he had had with alcohol and not being able to stop? You know, back on page 24, it told us the fact is that for most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drinks. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. And that's where, that's where he is. You know, that's where Fred is, without defense against the first drink. You know, one was too many and a thousand was not enough because it set off the phenomenon of craving. And sure enough, then he had another and another and another. And the next thing you know, he's plenty more that night, plenty more the next morning, remembering little of what happened in the next few days. And it all started with that thought. But the obsession of the mind happened when he was sober, when he was not drinking, when he had been dry for a while, this particular dry spell. But that did not save him. That did not save him, nor did it save me. Nor did it save me. No matter how great the desire or the wish or the knowledge, I, couldn't, I was without defense against that first drink. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. It's Amy. Go ahead. Good morning, uh, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. So what took place in Fred's mind? Everything was going well, and he felt victorious. And this is where he should be aware and alert, because this is where he is most vulnerable, when everything seems all right and fine. And then it happened. That thought came to his mind, and he entertained that thought. He took action and ordered a cocktail with his meal. And then it started. It all started. Once an addict, always an addict, no matter what. It never, ever gets better. It always gets worse when we are alone in our own thoughts. That thought comes in. But where is the spiritual power? Where was his spiritual growth that does have a defense against that thought? There was no spiritual power to lift the thought. And so the thought stayed, and he fed that thought, and this thought got a hold of him. And he planted the roots of that obsession. Instead of feeding his thoughts with the light of the spirit that melts the obsession of the mind away, he fed that thought. And he picked up. The disease never sleeps, but always only awaits for the right opportunity to come into your head and take over. And it did with Fred. All actions are born in thought. 
So every day is a day where we must carry the vision of God's will and not the vision of our individual will. It's God's will that will bring into all our activities the thoughts that must go with us constantly in order to live a happy, joyous, and free life. I thank you and I pass. Thank you, Rini. I'm Christy and I am a recovered compulsive overeater and um, I just, you know, this paragraph, what jumps out at me is that, uh, you know, a couple of things jump out at me, certainly what other people have mentioned that, um, you know, he was feeling really good, things were going well, you know, he's, he's presenting to a government bureau, he'd been out of town before, so there wasn't anything unusual about that, and, you know, everything was going well, and it didn't matter. You know, he walks across the, um, uh, or decides, I'm sorry, with this particular passage, the italicized one, that he decides it would be a nice idea to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. And he wasn't going to have any more than that. He was just going to have two. Unfortunately for him, what that did was it kicked off that mental obsession that we know so well, right? The physical allergy, the abnormal reaction to food, and the mental obsession. Because once he has those, that kicks up that craving, and he has to have more. So after dinner, he decides to take a walk, and then when he comes back to the hotel, he decides to have another drink. And the next thing, the next thing he remembers is being, you know, somewhere on an airplane, you know, bound for New York. Um, and that reminds me of, a, of a, an experience I had where, you know, life was going well for me. I had lost... Um, I think at that particular time, maybe over 100 pounds. You know, I'm almost 6'1". I weighed under 200. That was always my goal, to get under 200. You know, I was able to wear a size 16 or a size, you know, 36 jeans. And, um, you know, feeling really good about myself and, you know, newly in love and, you know, life was going well and, um, you know, I'd been eating really healthy, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I made a decision to, to eat something that wasn't on my own food plan, you know, Christie's food plan, Christie's, you know, self-imposed food plan. And before I knew it, it was before I knew it, in the same way he's on an airplane bound for New York, I couldn't fit into those pants. In fact, I, I was like three sizes up. All of a sudden, how did that happen? How did that happen? I remember trying to put a pair of pants on that were a size 22 or size 42 waist, and all of a sudden I couldn't fit into them. I had no idea how that happened. And that's what this story reminds me of. You know, I, I didn't recall every other time I ate after I picked up that first bite. It was all of a sudden I had gained you know, enough weight that I was three sizes up from where I'd been just a short time before that. And that's what this disease does to me. That's what this disease does to me. You know, it completely takes away that ability to eat some healthy food plan that I've developed myself. You know, I'm, I'm, at, a, I'm at a loss. You know, I'm up against a cunning, baffling, and powerful disease left to my own devices. You know, left to my own devices, I am without defense against that first compulsive bite. And before you know it, I'm off and running. And it happened to me every time. I mean, this, I'm talking like 1990. 
you know, 1990, this is what I was experiencing. And um, that happened to me more than once. It wasn't enough for me to say, well, I'll never do that again. You know, I, I mean, my disease, it knows, it, it has no limits. There are no bounds. I, there's no weight limit that I'm going to hit. There is no weight limit. There's no, no end in sight, so to speak. Um, not until I, you know, cracked open this big book and had a full understanding of my disease, not only my problem, but also the solution outlined in the big book, was I able to even come close to um, stopping eating and staying stopped. And staying stopped, and that's the miracle that this program allows for anyone who wants it and needs it. And with that, I'll pass. Is there anyone else who would like to share on this paragraph? Please press star one to unmute. This is Nicole. Uh, Nicole, go ahead, and then we'll catch uh, whoever else that was. Monica. Good morning, everybody. This is Nicole, a gratefully recovering compulsive overeater. Um, I really love this paragraph like everyone else had just shared. And I just want to share on the one word that stands out to me every time I look at this paragraph. I, I had, first of all, I had a few months ago, I looked up what are some of the symptoms of when someone is going to relapse. Um, and honestly, I wasn't even looking it up for myself. I was looking it up for someone that is in a different 12-step program. And it talked all about the emotional relapse that happened way before picking up any substance. And this is very sobering to me because when you look at it, he had an emotional relapse before he even picked up the first, the first drink. But the word that stands out to me is the word threshold. I just found it very interesting how they used the word threshold. And I looked at the definition of it and the definition of threshold is any place or point of entering or beginning. But I found this even more interesting. The point at which a stimulus is of sufficient intensity to begin to produce an effect. The point at which a stimulus is of sufficient intensity to begin to produce an effect. And I really do feel the power and the weight of how he said, as I crossed the threshold, it was as if there was no turning back. He was already in the middle of an emotional relapse, um, thinking that he had the strength to do this, and even the fact that he thought about his um, alcohol as being nice. He was very complimentary toward it. And um, so I just wanted to share that. It's, it's, just a, it's a good caution for all of us to recognize, am I approaching a threshold, um, a place where it will become so intense that I cannot turn back, and to keep aware of the little cues that may tell us that we're approaching a threshold, that we start to dream about taking that first bite, or it wouldn't be nice if I could participate in this. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Nicole. Um, I heard Monica. Monica, do you want to go ahead? Thank you, Christy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And again, here in this chapter, more about alcoholism here, they are giving us another scenario here, another story of 
how the obsession of our mind works, how this is a greater aspect of our disease. So here's Fred, and everything's going well for him. His business went off well, and there's not a cloud in the sky, and this guy has not been drinking now. He is sober and has been sober. So he's not having any physical cravings because he's not drinking. And he crosses the threshold, and I loved how she brought out the definition, a place of entry, uh, a beginning, a place of beginning, an entrance. He's, and he crossed the threshold, and this little thought comes to his mind that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. That was all, nothing more. Now, this is the obsession of the mind working here. Very clearly, he's sober, he's not having physical cravings, but all of a sudden, this little thought comes into his mind. And he has no memory of what will happen to him or what if he picks up. You know, and on page 24, it tells us um, that um, our, our memory leaves us and it tells us that uh, um, without Monica, I think we may have lost connection with Monica. Are you still there, Monica? Oh, how okay. about here? I oh, oh, okay. Hi, Monica. Okay, go ahead. I heard up to without. Up to without. We're without. Um, what I was reading. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's see your Yeah. We just we just lost the connection with you. Well, Monica, we're going to um, move on. Is there anyone else who would like to share on this paragraph? Before we move, in, move on, press star one to unmute. This is Yvette I'd like to share. Go ahead, Yvette. Susan. Okay, Yvette and then Susan. Go ahead, Yvette. Thank you. Yvette, uh, recovering a compulsive overeater in. This, this reading reminds me of the chaos that can uh, result from taking action on an insane thought and uh, the importance of recognizing insanity when, um, when it's in, in thought form and the symptoms um, of compulsive overeating, you know, uh, when any thought is in support of the symptom, that's to me is a voice of disease. You know, it's alert, high alert time. And uh, uh, but on the flip side of that, you know, it's uh, key to know the tools because any thought that supports the tools, that's a, a the voice of recovery, and to know to follow that voice of recovery, and. Uh, Emotional abandonment is uh, is something that uh, I really have to watch myself around. I have to be really 
um, cognizant of um, not attending to myself emotionally. If I have a, a food thought, that, that usually says something's going on emotionally that I need to attend to. And um, it's like, okay, what's going on? How, how are you feeling to, to, you know, journal about it, pray about it, reach out to sponsorship, um, other people who are practicing the, the program, um, living the steps to, to reach out and uh, to, to get help with that. And uh, fear, it, I find, is a major culprit and uh, major culprit. But I'm reminded of that the acronym "Face Everything and Recover" and um, to not not hide because if I if if I pick up, I'm hiding, covering the issue versus uh, facing the issue. And um, when I take time to develop a develop spiritual fitness, develop a, a trusting relationship with uh, God and my understanding, I see God as uh, as my buffer today and um, as protection and, and love and care, a buffer between me and the world and um, and that I can rely on, on God to help me and to guide me through the emotionally challenging situation. And um, it, having, having, a, having spir- spiritual fitness is uh, the the best protection that that I could have against uh, any any thought of disease. Um, so thank you guys for being there. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Yvette. Susan, go ahead. Yes. Hi. Hi. This is Susan in Florida. You know, every time I share on here, I tell you that my heart is pounding. Because I think about all the years that I've been sitting in this program and did not have the opportunity to learn this big book. I have done these things so many times. I have walked into places that I don't belong in. I have never had the thought of a God, the obsession, the mental obsession I was craving in my head. Forget about the food craving, the mental obsession I was craving of the food was so overpowering, I couldn't think of making a phone call or using a tool or walking out. My father had a restaurant and I could eat anything I wanted in that restaurant for lunch and breakfast. And there were times that I did. There were times that I was cocky, as the big book says, and I was able to walk in there and say, Dad, give me four ounces of fish, and he would. But there were times I could walk in there and say, Dad, give me whatever, and he did. I was his daughter. I could have whatever I want to eat there. And it just scares me to think. It scares me and it makes me happy also to think of how many years I have sat in the rooms, more than 30 years, not knowing the depth of this big book, not knowing that the spiritual connection that I could have, I did not have. Um, Today, I feel so grateful so grateful that I am learning the big book that I have a sponsor who keeps telling me God is or God isn't. God is or God isn't. Um, I don't, you know, it says here I stepped over the threshold. Um, It's a place of entry. I mean, how many times did I not belong in uh, a place that had a salad bar? I don't belong there. I have to eat way the measured foods. How many times did I go to a movie theater and I didn't belong there. 
the thought came to mind, I can have blah, blah, blah. And I was off and running. So I so clearly see today that the mental obsession is what has kept me in relapse for 30 plus years. It is very scary and yet very um, soothing to me because now I know I have a place that I can come to. God does do for me what I can't do for myself. Thank you. Done. Thank you, Susan. Um, I will ask Deb W. please to read the next paragraph at the bottom of page 41 there, Deb, if you are able to read for us. Deb, are you available? Christy, this is Marsha. I'm available if you need me to. That would be great. Go ahead, Marsha. Okay. I'm Marsha. Good morning. I'm a compulsive overeater. Recovered today. Thank you, God. As soon as I regained my ability to think, I went carefully over that evening in Washington. Not only had I been off guard, I had made no fight whatever against the first drink. This time, I had not thought of the consequences at all. I had commenced to drink as carelessly as though the cocktails were ginger ale. I now remembered what my alcoholic friends had told me, how they prophesied that if I had an alcoholic mind, the time and place would come, I would drink again. They said that though I did raise a defense, it would one day give way before some trivial reason for having a drink. Well, that just, just that did happen and more. For what I had learned of alcoholism did not occur to me at all. I knew from that moment that I had an alcoholic mind. I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help in those strange mental blank spots. I had never been able to understand people who had said that a problem had them helplessly defeated, hopelessly defeated. I knew then it was a crushing blow. Wow, this is it right there. I know exactly how Fred feels here. Um, I had no fight whatever against the first drink, and I had no fight whatever against that first cookie. I did not have my relationship with my higher power. I did not have a fit spiritual condition. Uh, I had been in program for 12 years when I took, when I ate a cookie. 12 years of doing service and and, and being so involved in 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 the service of OA and going to meetings and just throwing myself into this. And I got to a point where I became cocky. I thought that somehow I could do this, that I was, I wanted to be normal. I wanted so much to be normal. And I, I had one, I thought I could have one, but then there, that plate was just sitting there and I, and I, I couldn't just have one. And I I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And and my stubborn, willful willful mind put me in near four years of relapse. And uh, I was just that that self-will run riot. Um, I saw that all willpower and self-knowledge without helping those strange mental blank spots. No, no, no. I didn't have to have willpower. I figured that out. Took me a long while. God put before me another challenge, another test. I needed to learn this lesson again. I needed to learn that I was absolutely powerless over the first bite, absolutely and utterly and completely powerless. I thank God every day for putting me into that position where I needed to learn that again, 
And I am so grateful that today I know to the depths of my soul, to every molecule in my body, that I am a compulsive overeater. I have no defense against that first bite without my higher power by my side. Uh, I will never be able to, able to understand who said, I, have, I had never been able to understand people who said that a problem had them hopelessly defeated. I knew then it was a crushing blow. It is a crushing blow. I'm not going to be a normal, normal eater ever. I, I might have been a cucumber once, but now I'm a pickle. I'm absolutely a pickle. I will never be able to be a cucumber again. And I'm okay with that because I'm, I'm in a jar with a whole bunch of other good pickles. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Marsha. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Janice. Uh, Kim, go ahead, and then Janice. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from South Jersey. As soon as I regain my ability to think. So what does that mean? It means he put the drink down. So first and foremost, we have to put the food down. That's what's going to give us the clarity, the clarity to walk through this program. And then it says further down that these friends had prophesied that if I had an alcoholic mind, the time will come when I would drink again. So I had an alcoholic mind. And further down it says, I knew from that moment I had an alcoholic mind. And then it says later, in these strange mental blank spots. So what is this whole chapter telling us? This chapter is talking about what we're like when we're abstinent. You know, this is a two-fold disease. It is an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. So we talk thoroughly in the doctor's opinion about what it's like when we are in the food, what it's like when we are in that allergy. This chapter is talking about when we're abstinent. You know, what is that mind that brings us back? What are those careless thoughts? What, you know, when we're, Jim's having the awful day and the mental mind tells him to pick up. Fred's having the great day and his mind is telling him to pick up. This is about the mind. It's not about emotions. It's not about how we're feeling. You know, we can talk a lot about that. We love talking about our emotions. We love talking about our feelings. But we have to remember this is a, only a twofold disease, not threefold. It is twofold. And we are talking now about the obsession of the mind. And we need to keep that clear and we need to keep that straight. Because if we do not attend to the obsession of the mind, we will always go back to the food. I had commenced to drink as carelessly as though the cocktails were ginger ale. If we do not apply these steps and get to that place in step 10 where we are recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, we are always going to be susceptible to that mind telling us, it's not that big of a deal. I'm only going to have a couple cocktails. I've lost 20 pounds. I've lost 30 pounds. I can have one. So we need to keep it very clear. This is a two-fold disease. And if I have the alcoholic mind, if I have the mind of a compulsive overeater, nothing will help me unless I, I go to these steps. And what does that step do? That steps allows us to have that conscious contact with God. You know, I didn't feel like getting up today to go in this meeting I have off. You know, I don't feel like going to work every day. I don't feel like taking a shower every day. My feelings cannot rule my day. I know that I have this alcoholic mind. 
and therefore it is essential that I get up in the morning and I remind myself that I am a compulsive overeater by getting on this line and joining with my fellows. And that is what we need to do. It is the alcoholic mind that is going to bring us back over and over again. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Janice, go ahead. Thank you, Christy. Thank you very much. So what was what was Fred's defense? Because he's telling us here, then came the hospital with the unbearable mental and physical suffering. Unbearable mental and physical suffering. So when he had regained his ability to think, that is with him, that unbearable mental and physical suffering that he has. And he is aware, not only had I been off guard, not only had I been off guard, I made no fight whatever. I made no fight whatever. This time, I had not thought of the consequences at all, at all. And he remembered what his friends from AA had told him, that the time and place would come where he would drink again. And they had said that though I did raise a defense, and what was his defense? Self-knowledge. Self-knowledge coupled with his willpower. He was just absolutely certain that with self-knowledge and his own willpower that he would be able to do this thing. Put the drink down and keep it down. But then he had no defense whatever, no thought of the consequences, no thought of the unbearable mental and physical suffering that he'd had in the past. None of that came to his mind. None of that. That is an alcoholic mind. That is a compulsive overeater mind. I have that mind. And he got to that point where stretched his ego, his ego stretched to the limit. His human will stretched to the limit. He knew then he was able to understand what people said when they said a problem had them hopelessly defeated. And compulsive overeater, as a compulsive overeater, it had me helplessly defeated, hopelessly and helplessly defeated. I had no defense against that first fight. That would only come from a power greater than me. Lack of power had always been my dilemma, and I didn't know that until someone cracked open this big book and made it come alive for me. If there is a God, help me. If there is a God, help me. And that's the place that I still have to be in today, in conscious contact. Because that's what I learned. That's an alcoholic mind. Willpower and self-knowledge would not help me. Would not help me. But God would and could if he were sought. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. I'm Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, you know, this paragraph is just full of rich words uh, that I just that jump out at me. There's um, one in particular that uh, I like. Other people have spoken about on page 42. I saw that willpower and self knowledge would not help in those strange mental blank spots. And I have so many stories of um, where you know I. I <laughs> I had no defense. I had no defense and, and no memory, no memory of even the, you know, whatever kind of um, 
self-imposed rules I had um, given myself to follow. You know, there was one time in particular that I'm recalling right now where I had sworn off sugar, you know, even though sometimes I said sugar wasn't a problem for me. At this particular point in my disease, I said sugar is a problem for me, so I'm not going to eat sugar anymore. I made a big deal out of not eating sugar. I told everybody I knew, people on the streets, you know, people I passed by, you know, I'm not eating sugar. I'm not eating sugar. I'm not eating sugar. And, you know, I had, you know, a friend had offered holiday cookies. No, thank you. I'm not eating any sugar. I can't take those home. I don't even want them in the house. You know, thank you for making them. But no, I'm not eating sugar. And, um, you know, I, you know, there was a point where I was in a restaurant, you know, out to dinner with uh, my partner and a friend, and the friend had gotten, you know, a gumball out of, uh, you know, one of those gumball machines that looks kind of like a roller coaster, and had offered me, you know, some gum that had sugar in it. It wasn't sugar-free gum. It had sugar in it. And I said, sure. And my partner looked at me and said, I thought you weren't eating sugar. You know, after I popped this sugared gum into my mouth, I had totally forgotten that I wasn't eating sugar. You know, we'd had an enjoyable dinner, and um, I had totally forgotten that I was not eating sugar. And I ate the gum, and from there I was off and running. You know, from there it was, well, maybe sugar really isn't a problem for me. It, maybe sugar really isn't a problem for me. And that's all it took. That's all it took for someone like me to be off and running. Those are the strange mental blank spots. It didn't matter that I had, you know, all the willpower and self-knowledge. It was no defense. It was no defense against someone like me. It was no defense because I did not understand the twofold nature of my problem, that I was up against a mind, a mind that would tell me, you know, yes, I have a problem with it, and two seconds later it would say, no, I don't have a problem with that, so that I could justify picking it up. And that, you know, that right there is the greater aspect of my disease. My mind that does not have sufficient memory, you know, to, to recall the suffering from picking up that first compulsive bite. Off and running, off and running. That's where my disease would take me you know, having me by the throat, having me by the throat, imprisoned by this addiction. And um, with that, I will pass. Is there anyone else who would like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? Good morning, Paula. Sure, Paula, and then we'll uh, catch the other person there. Paula, go ahead. Thank you. You know, I am just fascinated by this word, um, not only had I been off God, and, and we see the page before on the bottom, he says, is all I needed to do would be only a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on God. Now we see the transition here, on God to off God. But I'll tell you, it waits. It waits. You can keep on God. And, you know, we, we look at the word God to keep watch over, to secure against injury, loss, and attack, being full aware that the, that is what it is, loss, attack, injury. Look at, there's a moment. There's always a moment when you're off guard. Hey, the enemy doesn't look like it's out there. Yep, looks all peaceful. You remember those blue skies? Yeah. Now, now I can just take a take a break. No, the disease don't take a break. Don't take a break. And it said, look at that. I had made no fight whatever. Hey, I just put it aside. I have not thought of the consequences at all. There you go. 
Now it comes in. Now it enters when you're off God. But I have to say, and I'd like to end with this. I'm going to scoot right down to that last last line that we've all lived. What my alcoholic friends had told me, he remembered. I now remembered. Oh, where was it then? What my alcoholic friends had told me, how they prophesied that if I had an alcoholic mind, the time and place would come and I would drink. They didn't say when. They didn't say why. They didn't say where. But why could they make that statement? They did it. They knew it. The time would come and I would drink. And there, the definition of an alcoholic mind. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. And I heard someone else. Uh, anyone else would like to share on this? Eddie in Virginia. Okay, Eddie, go ahead. Good morning, all. This is Eddie in Virginia, grateful, uh, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, and when I think of this line here, this time I had not thought of the consequences at all. And how many times, you know, I would start yet another diet and not even think about I know how I had gotten there yet again, um, you know, from the from the previous time. Um, it just I never was able to recall that um, humiliation of um, you know having people look at me with pity because there I was, you know, over overweight, morbidly obese yet again. Um, and I remember um, being at work one day and, and coming up from uh, lunch in the hallway, and I passed. Um, a man I knew, he worked in, a, in an adjacent department to me, and, and he stopped me in the hall and he said, oh, what size are you going to be this year? You know, and it's like, and I kind of laughed it off, and I said, oh, I think maybe this is a middle a middle size year or, or some stupid remark like that. And, and um, you know, it just, it just never occurred to me that um, what I was doing was, was so incredibly stupid, not only to myself, you know, physically, but emotionally. It just, none of those things ever mattered. Uh, when the food presented itself to me, when that thought would come into my mind, and that how much, despite the fact uh, that I had, um, you know, a lot of self-knowledge um, and that, um, you know, I had been down this road so many times before that I could not even count how many times I'd been down this road, that, that you know, I was without defense against the first bite. You know, it would be there, and there it was, and that's all. And there, and that's all it was. There was not anything else that existed at that point in time, but that I take that first bite. And, and I and I like this last line about how I had never been able to understand people who had who said they had a problem that had hope, hopelessly had them hopelessly defeated. And you know, and that's true. Until I came into OA, I, I I never thought that I was hopelessly defeated. I just thought I hadn't found the right diet plan yet, or I hadn't found the right medicine yet, or the right doctor, or or I don't know, whatever the right thing. You know, that that still that magic bullet that everybody looks for. Um, you know, and uh, there are people that you know that still believe that. I mean, thank God I don't believe that today. You know, I know there's no magic bullet. There's this program, and there's my God, and there's there's the the work that you know I am I put into this every day. Um, Kim was saying earlier about you know knowing that I have to get up in the mornings, and uh, this is what I do when I get up in the morning. I, I get on this meeting most mornings of the week because if I don't, I know that at some point in time I'm going to I'm going to you know be in trouble, and I won't have you know all of my um, my program to fall back on if I don't exercise it daily, you know, like I exercise my heart daily or exercise my body daily. I have to exercise this daily too, or I won't have it when I really need it. And with that, I'll pass. 
Thank you, Eddie. Anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move to the next one? All right, let's move on. Eddie, would you please read that next paragraph? Good morning again. Um, two of the members of Alcoholics Anonymous came to see me. They grinned, which I didn't like so much, and then asked me if I had thought myself alcoholic and if I were really licked this time. I had to concede both propositions. They piled on me heaps of evidence to the effect that an alcoholic mentality such as I had exhibited in Washington was a hopeless condition. They cited cases out of their own experience by the dozen. This process snuffed out the last flicker of conviction that I could do the job myself. Yes, it did. Um, I really, I, it was a bitter pill for me to swallow that I had to admit to myself that I was really licked, that I could not do this on my own. Um, I just, for years, thought that I, as I had just shared earlier, I just needed to find the right whatever and that I could do this on my own. Um, I remember my mother, who was a very independent individual, um, how many times she said to me, you just need some willpower. She, she really was totally baffled by you know, this disease that I had, which when I look back, I'm quite surprised because my father also had this disease. And, of course, I didn't realize that until much later. And I, I, I don't know why she, she didn't seem to think that that was the same thing as I had. But anyway, I, maybe because I was a girl and it was less acceptable, I, I don't know. But she was totally baffled by the fact that I could not seem to, um, you know, get, get past this whole needing to eat all the time, you know, that um, just was ruining as far as she was. And, and she was right. I mean, it was ruining my life. But, um, you know, when I came into the rooms and they piled upon me their experiences and I kept saying to myself, that's right, I did that. Oh, yes, I did that. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I used to say I used to feel like one of those little bobbleheads in the, that people put in the back, the rear window of their car uh, as the car moves along and you see the head and it's bobbing up and down. And when I go to meetings, I, I, that's how I would feel because my head would just be bobbing up and down, uh, agreeing with everything that these people said. I'm thinking to myself that somebody was hiding in my closet at home because otherwise how would they know what I was doing with food? But they did, and gradually I got to accept the fact that even though this was a um, permanent condition, a, a, a disease that was never going to go away, it was not hopeless because I, I had hope. I had help and I had hope, and I just had to admit the fact that I couldn't do this alone and ask for help. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Eddie. Uh, we've got time for one more before we close the meeting. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Janice. Janice, go ahead. Thank you, Christy. Thank you. Two of the members of Alcoholics Anonymous came to see me. They grinned, which I didn't like so much, and then asked me if I thought myself alcoholic and if I were really lit this time. Remember, you know, we. Other people, we have to rely on ourselves to diagnose ourselves. We have to fully concede to our innermost selves that we are alcoholics. But there is help available. And these two men from Alcoholics Anonymous told their stories. They piled on me heaps of evidence from their own experience. They cited cases out of their own experience by the dozens. Now, that's what I needed. 
I needed someone in whom the problem had been solved to give me something to relate to, to show me that I was not alone, that yes, indeed, if I were like these people, if I could identify in, that there was hope and a solution for me as well. You know, the last of his ego, you know, he didn't like it so much. They were happy. They grinned. They grinned and said, oh, yeah, here we have someone like us. But they grinned because they had a solution. They were happy to share that solution. And that's one of the things we get to do every morning here on this meeting, is share our experience, strength, and hope, because we've been there, and we have found the way out. We found the solution through the working of the 12 steps and the information in this big book that gives us a clear-cut direction of the way out. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice, and thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Melanie please read a vision for you? Oh, thank you, Christy. This is Melanie. I'm a compulsive overeater living here in Minnesota today. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, with that I pass.